I can't believe it's Christmas already. I was telling somebody, it seems like after Thanksgiving, it's just, boom, it's Christmas. And But I do love it. I love all the decorations. I love the music. I love the music. And I hope this morning's music was just a sweet, sweet sound in the ear of our Savior. The little hectic. I just have one more present to buy, I think. I think I have one more, and then I have one more after that. <laughs> but I have a lot of cooking and cleaning and wrapping and all that part, and getting ready for the kids and the grandkids to descend upon our house in the flurry of unwrapping the presents and all that. But I need to find time to consider what Christmas is really about. And I guess it's because I'm getting older. But inevitably, my mind starts to wander back to Christmases of my childhood or the early years of my marriage or when my kids were little. Just past Christmases, you know. I think everybody does that. I'm going to share with you one of my best Christmas memories and kind of go from there if I can get through it. In the Christmas of 1959, when I was 13 years old, it was a very hard time for our family. My dad had been sick for about a year, and it was thought he had TB, but around Christmas time, they discovered he had lung cancer. And shortly after Christmas, he had a lot of his lung removed, a large section. But he was very sick, and he was in the hospital a lot. And right before Christmas, on the 18th of December, my mother had her sixth child, my fifth brother, number five brother for me. And things were really hard for our family financially. And to tell you the truth, it wasn't something that we kids were used to. We weren't used to things being hard and having to think about it. And my aunt and uncle actually moved in with us. And my uncle Jake's paycheck became our family's paycheck because my parents couldn't work at the time. And they stayed with us for almost two years taking, helping mom take care of the kids, paying the bills, helping mom cook and clean, and generally just being kind of our family's personal welfare system. That's the way it used to be done. So Christmas in 1959, I didn't expect to get any great gifts. Oh, I knew I'd get something. I mean, my aunt and uncle would provide some sort of gifts, and my other aunt and uncle who didn't have any children, uh, they'd do something for us. And my aunt Minnie, who lives somewhere far away, always sent me a pair of house shoes for Christmas. (laughs) She made them out of felt. And to tell you the truth, I didn't really mind that. I just have always loved Christmas, and somehow having the extra relatives in the house just made it seem cozier. And that feeling we refer to as the Christmas spirit, just good feelings of love and peace and all sorts of kind-hearted things, 
was there. And a week before Christmas, I slept on the couch. And I slept on the couch because it was nice, but also I just loved the glow of our aluminum Christmas tree <laughs> that turned red and green and blue and yellow. And we used that tree for two years, and after the first year, it was pretty crumpled. But I have to tell you, it was still pretty fabulous. So I would just like to lay on the couch and watch it. But my oldest brother, Shelby, we called him Deanie, who's Shelby Dean, was a senior in high school that year, and to make extra money, he worked as a box boy down at the grocery store a few blocks away. And I think mostly it was just to for gas for his 1949 Ford. But I remember that I envied his independent wealth. <laughs> and on Christmas Eve night, when so many of our relatives would descend upon our house and they had exchanged gifts and we laughed a lot and, and it was a fun thing and I got the house shoes, of course, and a jewelry box from my aunt and I can't remember any other gifts except for one gift. And I don't know why he did this, really. But in the clamor of the evening, my big brother, Dini, came over to me with a box and put it down. And he said, Merry Christmas, Sharon. He didn't really say Sharon. He called me by my nickname, but I will never divulge that. <laughs> <laughs> and I opened it up. And in that box was a stereo. Not a record player. This was 1959. Our record player had been broken, but it was a stereo. And he had spent every bit of money that he had that year on a stereo for me. And I knew it was all the money he had because I heard him telling somebody that he didn't have enough money for everybody some gifts. And he had spent it all on me. And I cannot begin to describe the flood of the emotions that went through me. I felt joy and excitement, a bit of guilt that it's been everything on me. But mostly, for the first time, I can remember consciously thinking, Deanie loves me. I was overwhelmed with the thought that Deanie loves me. And I was overwhelmed by love for my big brother. What a gift. I hadn't expected anything like that. I didn't deserve anything like that any more than anybody else did. What an experience. So every year at Christmas, my big brother comes wandering across my mind and my heart, and I'm touched all over again by the enormity of that gift. You know, if you've read the Bible and you've studied it all, you know that the incidents in the Old Testament of God's dealings with His people were types and shadows of the coming reality of Jesus. Things to prepare their heart for what was to come. 
But I believe we have our own personal types and shadows, experiences. And the incident that I just told you about was one of mine. Because if I were to fast forward my life testimony to you almost three years later, I can see that as a 16-year-old sitting at night church, <coughs> listening to a wonderful man of God, my pastor at the time, listening to him tell me that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I knew I could and I did receive that gift. Live forever. What a gift. What a price the Father paid. What a price Jesus paid. It was such a glorious relief when I received that gift. Now don't get me wrong. At 16, I was a good kid when I asked the Savior to wash my sins away and save me. But dear ones, I don't care who you are, how good you are, until you've received that gift, you know that unnamed uneasiness that nags at you in the night or that suddenly weighs down your heart at unexpected moments or when you feel like you've failed or when you feel like your success doesn't satisfy. You know what I mean. You know because it's universal. That's why he came to save the world. Not the picture-perfect world he created. Not the unblemished man and woman with pure heart that he created. But the fallen world. The ugly soul the imperfect, sin-stained soul that willingly and helplessly puts itself in opposition to the one who loves it so? Why? I don't know that he had an obligation to do that. We had committed treason against his sovereignty. He loves us. That's why. But I want to go back to Christmas for a minute. When I received that wonderful gift of salvation, I was happy just not to be going to hell. Can, anybody, can any of you identify with that? <laughs> but I have learned that everlasting life is just one facet of a multifaceted gift from the Creator of the universe. If that was all He intended to do, was to give us everlasting life. He wouldn't have to come as a helpless, vulnerable baby in a harsh time, in a culture enslaved by the harsh taskmaster of Rome, in a stable, no less, stinky stable with animals and smells and a heavy-handed, hard-hearted religious system of the time. No, 
I think if that's all he came to do, he could have just beamed himself down in some mad, majestic scene for all the Pharisees and scribes to see, ticked him off. They could have killed him. He could have been resurrected and gone to heaven. And that would have been it. So why did he do it the way he did it? Did you ever ask yourself that? Be born in this world, live in this world, teach and heal and cleanse and deliver and provide because he wanted to give the gift of not just eternal life in the future, but abundant life in the here and now. But it's all part of the same gift. You see, we step over into the kingdom life the moment we receive the gift of Jesus. The Word says that after the resurrection, Jesus stayed around for 40 days teaching His disciples about the kingdom of God, showing them how to live, what to do. John says that the Word, Jesus, who dwelt among us, praise His name, gave everyone who received Him and His gift the right or the power to become children of God. He gave us the ability that only the born again have to change. Truly change. Not mask what we are, but to change. He changed me. And He gave me the ability by His Holy Spirit and will give you the ability by His Holy Spirit to be better than you are. To attain to attain more than you could have before, than I could have before. To think more purely. To live more purely. To be transformed from the inwardly ugly sinner to a remade child of God. And there's more. Listen to just a small list of the wonderful gifts that David gives to us in the 103rd Psalm. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Who forgives all of your iniquities. Who heals all of your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns your life with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, not just food, so that your youth is renewed 
like the eagles. Bless the Lord. Another, perhaps the most glorious aspect of this new life Jesus gives us is this. Are you ready for this? We can know him. Praise God. We can know him and commune with him and abide with him. Paul says that his life before Christ, all the things that he and his peers counted as precious, his education, you know, he's like the equivalent of a PhD, his heritage, his lifestyle, everything that he had before knowing Jesus was rubbish compared to the joy of knowing Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And he says that in Philippians, the third chapter. It's Christmas, and in my mind, it wanders back to the glories of Christmas past, my family, my brothers, that one Christmas I told you about, and I'm so glad that we set aside a time to meditate on the gift in that manger. And he paid everything for that wonderful gift that he offers you. Everything. Now I want to tell you, you can reciprocate. He gave everything for you to you because he loves you. When my big brother gave me that gift, oh, my heart was filled with love for him. He's passed away now, but it always comes across my mind this time of year. And when I received that gift from Jesus, oh, how I loved him. And I gave him the only thing that he wanted from me or that I could I could give him to let him know that I loved him too. I gave him myself. What did it cost me? What will it cost you? I don't want to mislead you here. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, true. But the only thing that we can give him in return is everything. That's the price of being a child of God. But it is not grievous. I give him my life because he gives me eternal life, abundant life. I give him my time and he gives me forever. I give him my mind and he gives me a renewed mind. I give him my body 
the works of my body and he will raise it up on the last day. Not a bad exchange, is it? But does it cost you? Yes. It cost you your sin. It cost you your lack of peace. It cost you your supposed right to hatred and anger and revenge and lust and impurity. It will cost you that. And you will be so glad that you paid that price to loyalty and devotion to the one who created you and loved you and gave his life for you. That baby that lived and died for you. Now, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. It's Christmas. Let your minds wander to the Christmas past in Bethlehem. And be blessed again by his wondrous gift to you. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.